WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. The House Republican Budget Proposal, a ban on gender-affirming care for children, plus a bill putting transgender kids at greater risk, and more. From the television studios at WFYI, it's Indiana Week in Review for the week ending February 24th, 2023. Indiana Week in Review is made possible by the supporters of Indiana Public Broadcasting Stations. This week, House Republicans passed their proposed state budget, one its architect says is focused on opportunity for students, families, and taxpayers. The proposal includes a huge boost in K-12 education spending, part of which is a dramatic increase for private school vouchers. The House GOP budget includes nearly $18 billion for the K-12 funding formula, an increase of more than 10% from the last state budget. But more than a billion of that is tabbed for private schools. House Republicans want to allow families of four that earn up to about $220,000 to be eligible for vouchers. And budget architect Jeff Thompson says their plan removes all other requirements for eligibility, including one that made most voucher students first spend time in a public school. And we want those families to have the best choice they can have with regard to where their children should go. The House Republican budget plan also speeds up income tax cuts that were passed last year. Under the current timeline, the income tax rate would go down to 2.9 percent by 2029, and only if state revenues continued to grow. Now, Thompson says the rate will hit 2.9 percent, down from its current 3.15, by 2026, regardless of what the economy does to state budgets. Who's your taxpayers would be the best place to have those additional dollars, and they can spend those the most wisely. The accelerated tax cut timeline would save a person making $50,000 a year, $325 over the next six years. Is the expansion of the voucher program the right step for Indiana? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney. Republican Mike O'Brien. John Schwannis, host of Indiana Lawmakers and Nikki Kelly, Editor-in-Chief of the Indiana Capital Chronicle. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House Bureau Chief Brandon Smith. And Delaney, uh, anyone who's ever seen a single episode of this show knows that you are not a fan of the school voucher program. <laughs> or so every I'll... episode of this show, because <laughs> yes. it always comes up. <laughs> but let me, ask, let me ask you this question. Yeah. Democrats are clearly opposed to this. Mm -hmm. Do you think Senate Republicans are going to go along with it? I hope not. I hope not. I mean, remember how this was sold to us how many years ago. It was going to be poor children in failing schools having choice, okay? This goes up to $220,000 a year. It is an entitlement program for the upper middle class is what it is. And these people... You should love that. Yeah. These people also, you know, they're already sending their kids to Culver. And what we're going to do is run in with tax money and say, here, we'll pay part of the, part of the tuition for you. The, the irony of that is, I'm, you know, I'm looking at that, and never mind that it's an entitlement program that <laughs> they don't need. It virtually wipes out whatever tax liability somebody making $220,000 with a couple of kids in Indiana would pay. So does that make that taxable federally? I mean, when you have debt forgiveness, you pay taxes on that with the federal government. Why wouldn't you be taxed on a gift from the state of Indiana to 7000 some odd dollars a year? 
Todd Houston talked about this on Thursday or yesterday and said, you know, in 2021, a reporter asked him, Tom Davies at the Associated Press, a reporter asked him, why don't you ever run on the voucher program? You know, you, you're, you, you, you're so proud of it, why don't you run on it? And Todd said, we did run on it after that. He said, I took that question to heart. We ran on it, and it, we had success. Is this an, I mean, certainly the people who are going to benefit are going to love this, but sure. to all other taxpayers, paying taxpayer money to people who clearly don't need it, making $220,000 a year, is that a good idea to but, sell? But the parents using these are taxpayers too, right? But, now, you, but now, you're now you're taking a portion. <laughs> well, I'm out of my death on that. That's, that's you and the accountants to figure out. Um, but no, I mean, that's the, that's the idea here, right? We did start this a decade and a half ago very narrowly. And of course it's expanded. I think the, the assumption was it was always going to expand. I don't think, I'm sure someone said at some point for political expediency that this is it. You know, this is, we're not going any further than this, but no one, oh. no one, no one believed that. Um, yeah. People in K twelve so education. You lied place, when you sold it. I didn't lie. You didn't lie. I didn't lie. <laughs> I'd say what I'm assuming is that, like the the assumption was, this was going to expand. So, create the program, fund it for that narrow population, and, and now they've taken to to expand it. My guess is, the more you expand it, the the less it's used. Because you're right, you, you still do have. You're not going to move a kid. You know, that is a fair point. That there's a kid already in Culver who can right. afford to be there, who's now getting subsidized. Um, but there is going to be a kid that isn't, you know, and, and, and now can move in. Yeah. Is there an end to this program for Republicans? It or, or is it everybody, every school kid in the, in the state gets money from the government regardless of whether I mean, they're going it, to school? It certainly seems that way. It, it's almost as if we have reached the point or are moving rapidly toward the point where we don't have X, public X amount of dollars. Here's little Johnny or Sally's backpack. We're going to put a wad of cash in there. Every kid gets this whatever $8,000. You know, we're putting it in there. And wherever you go to school, that administrator will open your backpack and take it out. I mean, so then when do you have a distinction, really, between private schools and public schools, if, if, you, if we were to reach that point? Oh, I can tell you what the distinction well, is. Well, yeah, I, I'm yeah, going to say yeah. one problem. Funding. Well, one well issue, not funding. It's well, one issue is the requirement well, of, of schools to take people who have learning challenges and disabilities that would present financial uh, challenges to private schools that would just as soon not have to deal with that kind of overhead and infrastructure. And uh, also, also, I mean, let's usually when there's public funding, when tax dollars are used, that means that there's certain transparency in terms of what is being spent and records are opened and salaries are open and that's sort of rule number one. Uh, for the use of public dollars. And I'm sure that a lot of schools, private schools, don't want, they want the money, but they don't want the increased accountability and uh, transparency that would go with that. You know, it's worth, it's, it's worth remembering we did both in this budget, that in the last four budgets, K-12 education direct, direct investment is up 37%. We're up 30% in the budget overall. So, look, so zoom out and look at the whole budget. We, we dialed down the surplus from this absurd $6.5 billion we were sitting on to, um, to what is supposed to be the reasonable number, which is a, sure. just a reserve, um, and, and made all these investments in all these other areas, including K-12 education, including teacher salaries. and all, We're doing both of these things, not one or the other. So we can waste but a billion dollars. You can waste a billion dollars on giving it to people who don't need it when our roads are in terrible condition, when we're not funding higher education the way we should, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't know what subset yeah, of that I, billion I would be earmarked for people who... <laughs> 
maybe well, had financial situations that would warrant well, what, that what we do know is part of the other reason it was sold is that we're saving this money that would have been spent on them in public education. They're not in public education. So we're doubling what we're, what we're paying. I want to go back to the first question I asked now, because that's a lot of this discussion is long-term. In the short term, in this budget, are Senate Republicans going to go along with an expansion this broad? I mean, they seem to definitely, well, Senate President Pro Tem Bray expressed some clear concerns about that yesterday. Senate Budget Chief uh, Senator Mishler, you know, came out recently with the big call, call for accountability on on uh, voucher schools. So I, I, I think they will definitely dial it back some. And no one's, and by the way, I get that they're increasing K-12 public schools, but they are increasing vouchers at a faster rate than public, public schools. Right, There's yeah. no way to yeah, deny I think, that. I think the number that, that Representative Porter threw out yesterday is that the average K-12 school, public school, is going to get a 6% increase. And the average voucher school is going to get a 70, 70% increase. And I would point out right. that when we look at polls or advocates of this, of school choice, point to polls that say, look, who's your parents want this? Again, it's how it's packaged or presented. If you say, probably ask anybody, including the most zealous public school advocates, should children be penalized because of their zip codes or where they live? Well, absolutely not. The notion of choice. Should, should schools and parents have choices? Well, going. absolutely. But when you ask, if you were to ask, so should dollars be taken that otherwise theoretically would have been earmarked for PSXXX and are now going to go to support the child whose parents have made the unilateral decision without ever sampling public school that this is a better course for us, all of a sudden I think you get a different response. Yeah. It's all in the framing, as always, yeah, in the we're question. We're not talking about kids in, in poor schools or poor school districts here. Yeah, we're talking about... Not anymore. Not anymore. No, not, not anymore. Not with this right. bill. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question. And this week's question is, should a family of four earning $220,000 a year be eligible for private school vouchers? A, yes, or B, no. Let's see how they answer that particular question, John. Last week's question we asked, is it wrong for a state elected official to hire their brother-in-law? 91% of you, 91 of you say yes, 9% say no. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. A Senate committee Wednesday voted to ban gender-affirming care for transgender youth as protesters gathered outside the chamber. The bill would ban medicinal or surgical transition for transgender Hoosiers younger than 18. It's already against national and international guidance to perform gender-affirming surgeries for transgender youth, and no provider in Indiana offers it for minors. Ken Inskeep is the parent of a transgender child. He and his wife told lawmakers about their experience seeking out gender-affirming care for their son. Cruiser children are children. will suffer and die if you pass this bill. The Indiana State Medical Association and the Indiana chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics testified against the bill. Most major medical organizations support access to gender-affirming care for transgender youth. Testimony in support of the ban largely questioned the safety of hormonal treatments and puberty blockers. Puberty blockers are largely reversible, though data suggests it's very rare that people on puberty blockers choose to transition back to the gender they were assigned at birth. Only four people who testified in support of the bill were from Indiana, and none received gender-affirming care as minors. Michael Bryan, I can find you a doctor who says that smoking is completely healthy. We've seen those people <laughs> paraded before cameras for when that debate was going on, and in some places it still is. But when we're talking about the vast majority of the medical community, which is what we're talking about here, 
Why does the General Assembly keep ignoring all those people? Got a few more points to make on school choice before we get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's two things here. I mean, one, there is like, there, this is demagogue to death. I mean, Riley had to get up in front of this committee and say, we're not doing what they're saying we're doing, which is cutting off kids' private parts, you know, lopping them off. And it's just that minimized. But I think the average Hoosier would, would, is, is a little more in the middle. I'm not quite sure what a doctor should be doing in, in this regard with a patient. But the, the problem with this issue, which is always the problem with these issues, is you've got to write that down on paper and then put it in law. And there are 11 pages of like really prescriptive to doctors, what they can and can't do. We're, do, we're down to, you know, we're defining gender. We're down to the chromosome in, in Indiana code. And it gets really tricky um, on, on what you're trying to, what, we're, what, they're, what the messages that they're trying to restrict isn't happening. And the doctors are up there going, I don't know what to tell you. And, and the proponents of this bill get up and go, it's on Riley's website. It's on IU Health's website. And IU Health gets up and goes, we don't know what you're talking about. We're not doing that. We're counseling these kids, you know, because, because they need counseling, <laughs> right? But, but the, the, the position, the extreme position, and how you address that in legislation is really hard, and this, this bill is very complicated. It Please. feels like we're back to uh, what's becoming a theme the last few episodes, which is there is a most likely relatively small group of people who are doing a very good job at being very, very loud. Mm -hmm. And that's what's driving. And they're controlling the Republican caucus and the supermajority. And that's what's really sad about this. You know, ever since we've started with these issues, it has always been the notion that we need to do what's best for the child, okay? Not what's best for the parents, but what's best for the child. Oh, just wait until the next topic well, I know, we're talking about. I know, but, but, but the problem with this is, is that you get, whenever you try to codify something like that, it tells you that it shouldn't be in the code. These are individual private decisions that are extremely complicated and very difficult to deal with. And the, the idea that the General Assembly can sort through that is ludicrous. If Tyler Johnson had written a bill that said, we're going to ban surgeries, gender-affirming surgeries, for people under the age of 18, no one in the medical community would have gotten up and said, how dare you? Because they would have, because what they've said is, okay. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that would that have been happen. far less controversial. Not only is it not happening, but I think it's generally, from doctors we've heard from, considered to be basically, you know, no, you shouldn't be doing that until they're 18. Um, but, you know, the bill goes so much further. It, it affects hormone treatments and puberty blockers. And, you know, the, those are medications that, that if they decide later, you know, they can wean themselves off and then restart their puberty. And, and you know, those, again, are, seem to be personal decisions. But that is not the way it was written. There were a couple of Republicans, Benita Becker being one, who clearly seemed to think the bill originally was just surgical and was surprised to find out it was much much more comprehensive, and so uh, maybe they back it down to basically at what, what the status now. quo yeah. is now. John, I often turn to you and ask the political question, the public perception question on this. And so it seems to me that there is a, a subset of the Republican Party base who is very angry about these things, whether they're real or not, and in many cases clearly not real. But that doesn't mean that they're any less angry about it, and it doesn't mean that that doesn't drive their decision-making when they're going to the ballot box any less either. They could pass a bill that would seem to mollify that group of people by saying we're going to ban these surgeries, which aren't happening anyway, but clearly reality doesn't matter all that much on this issue. Couldn't they just do that 
and do a lot less harm because that's what we're talking about. Yeah, harm. harm. Yeah, I guess is the the, the answer. Uh, I don't. What we're seeing and what we've seen over the past decade or so is a shift from our General Assembly and every other General Assembly dealing with issues that were organic and grew up organically through constituencies uh, the old-fashioned way. Hey, my my brother has this problem, dear representative or dear senator, can we deal with this? There might be other Hoosiers who are facing these challenges. And now, increasingly, we're seeing these, I mean, we can make a very long list. I don't know who, where, you know, in what... I saw it on Facebook. ...what room uh, in, 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 ensconced in some bunker is coming up with talking points that have been tested, I presume, in focus groups or data research that seem to mobilize people, Alec. usually because of fear, uh, because fear is a much better motivator, as we've seen time and time again, than, than something positive. And these issues, oftentimes, you, you, you know this because when people are pressed on it, does this happen? Well, yes, or it could. no, but it, it could. could. It could. And so it's always sort of this boogeyman uh, that's, yeah. that's lurking. And, but I do, I, I'm, when you talk about public perception, I'm, I'm, I can't help but chuckle when I think back, it wasn't a decade or two ago when right-leaning leaning groups, Republican groups, conservative groups were running national ads about, in this case, Obamacare. The worst thing in the world would be oh, for yeah. government yes. to come between yeah, you yeah, and your and physicians. Yeah. And, they, you know, Aunt Betty and, and Uncle Charlie are sitting there saying how horrible it would be for the government to intrude in this sacred well, relationship. It's, it's a circumstance, just another example, circumstances, I guess, warrant different responses. So. House Republicans voted for a bill this week that would stop Indiana courts from intervening when a transgender child is at risk of suicide. Under current law, if a child is a serious risk to themselves or others and won't get the care they need from their parent or guardian, a court can remove the child from their home. Under Republican Representative Dale Devon's bill, the court could no longer do that if the parent or guardian is denying gender-affirming physical or mental health care for their transgender child. As the biggest issue is protecting the parents Representative Wendy McNamara is one of a few Republicans who voted against the bill. She says she's fine with protecting parents' rights when there's disagreement over their child being transgender, but she says the measure goes far beyond that. It might put jeopardy hundreds of other kids in our system. The House approved the bill 58 to 33. Nikki Kelly, the origin of this bill is a single court case, which is yep. still ongoing. It's, it's currently being, uh, the, the Supreme Court is weighing on whether or not to take the appeal. How unusual is that? Well, that's massively unusual. For decades, the general unwritten rule in the legislature is we don't get in the middle of ongoing legal disputes. They obviously are. And secondly, I think what needs to be explained as I listened to that debate the other day is that, uh, you know, the way he explained that case was completely misleading. And I'd like to know if those people who voted for that bill have read that Court of Appeals decision, because a lot was going on in with that house. There was, you know, involvement of them taking her out of school, discontinuing her therapy, not helping her with uh, anorexia, which was a cause of, you know, was because of her self-isolation because you know, their arguments Phys for their or, family. Uh, not, not physical, emotional yeah. and, and mental abuse. That's what So there was a lot going on. It wasn't just, oh, you know, we won't use he or she. Yeah. Let me, let me quote from the court record, and I'm going to ask the audience to pardon my language here, but this is from the Court of Appeals decision. This mother said of her child, they called her child, the bitch that killed my son. 
Dale Devon called her a strong Catholic woman and a loving mother. What are we doing at the State House? What are we doing in that General Assembly? Well, maybe it's a, a revisitation of daylight saving time, but in this case, it's not an hour one way or the other. It's rolling back the clock 100 years because it seems like so many of these issues are almost uh, a throwback to another time. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're, it seems that there's this unrelenting desire to tackle issues that either don't exist or have not reached the, the, the level of maturity where they can be addressed by a legislative body. I mean, they're still winding their ways through the court system. I, you know, it's, uh, we were saying earlier, you know, Mitch Daniels famously, or depending on one's views, infamously said during his tenure as governor, let's focus or have a moratorium on social issues. I don't know if anybody has the the cojones to say that now, but it, it seems that it would it would be it would probably be uh, certainly call as much call for as there was at the t beginning of his tenure might be more now. We're going to talk about a bill next that deals a lot with parents' rights, and I get the idea that a parent shouldn't necessarily be shielded from what's going on with their kids. That's in many cases not healthy, but what we're talking about in this specific bill is saying. We are carving out in law a group of kids who are already gr at greater risk for suicide and saying, doesn't matter. Yeah. If they're, as, long as, it's, as long as they're trans, who gives a crap? Right, and so it comes down to this small group on, you know, this small marginal group that believes that this is made up. This, this is a liberal creation uh, to dismantle the traditional family. And I'll be damned if the courts are going to take away my kid when I decide not to go along with it. That's it, right? I mean, that's, that, that's where this sits. The problem with preventing a judge from taking away a kid that, you're, that the parents are intentionally starving because they disagree with the questions she's asking uh, or the thoughts she's having, um, if you miss in changing that process, I mean, good luck. I'm with Wendy Mack on this. I mean, you're not... Uh, you can't take away the immunity of a judge in that case. You can't give a right of action to a parent to go sue the courts and sue the sheriff that came to the house. I mean, these are foundational things in, in law enforcement and parenting uh, and child protection, first and foremost. I, I think some of these other bills, I'm guessing they will move forward. I would suspect that in some form or another they will pass. Is this one, is this one, at least can we get rid of this one? I hope so. I mean... <laughs> The idea that when you have the supermajority and, and there's something you don't like, that you can resort to any tactic to undermine it. I mean, they have no, no appreciation for separation of powers. They have no appreciation for the fact that the courts in those Chin's petitions, first, foremost, second, third, fourth, fifth uh, tenant, is that they have to protect the child. The child's starving. Okay, and so now if court goes in there or if they go in with, for child protective services with well, trying to remove a child, they have to ask, well, did, you know, did gender ever come up? And did, it's ridiculous. Well, and Dale Devon said in his comments on the floor, straight out, this is about protecting the parents. Last it's time I checked, parents. DCS was about protecting the kid. Right. Which it should be. Let's wrap up this one with a controversial bill that would prohibit teachers from discussing topics around human sexuality in kindergarten through third grade past the House this week. Part of the legislation would also force schools to notify parents if children request to change their name or pronouns in a way that's inconsistent with their sex assigned at birth. Republican Representative Michelle Davis authored the bill. She says parents should have the right to know this information about their children. 
Schools should not shield a parent from knowledge about their child. Carissa Dollar is a teacher in Indiana and a mother of LGBTQ daughters. She says this bill condones a hostile environment for LGBTQ youth and can hinder their school experience. If children and their families don't feel welcome from the beginning, then it impacts their entire school experience. Although teachers would be barred from discussing these topics, an amended version of the bill would allow teachers to respond to student questions about these concepts. However, advocates say vague bill language will likely create a chilling effect, leaving teachers unclear on what ideas they can and cannot discuss. John, there are two core parts of this bill, and I want to ask about one of them in conjunction with what we just talked about. So now, a kid goes to their, their teacher who they trust and says, I don't know that I feel like a boy. I don't know that I feel like a girl. And the teacher is forced to tell the parents about it. And then if the kid becomes suicidal, they have to stay with their parents because the courts can't do anything about it if both of these bills passed. So when looking at it in that light, does this bill make a lot of sense? <laughs> if parental rights were the only concern, and it's in consistently, you know, whatever parents believe, whether it's regardless of issue, you would say that the same applies if, if your child, you're one religion, and your child is giving hints that he might be converting from Catholicism to being a Protestant, or reverse, or you're a Republican family, Christian and this kid, this kid is talking about maybe being the D word, a Democrat, or vice versa. I mean, these all would run afoul of some notion of a, of a family construct that these parents have created. Are, par are, are there surveillance agents in schools now that are supposed to sense anything that's a deviation in that age group from the parental wish list and a report immediately. It, I mean, why are we, this is an issue that we've identified, but you could do this, why not religion? Why not politics? Why not anything else, you know? You wanted to raise a kid who's involved in sports, and this kid, parents, he says he'd rather read a book, a, a novel, and you should do something. I mean, it's, it's where, do, where does it stop? I don't it doesn't. know. It okay. All right, well, on that light note, that's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike O'Brien, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and Nikki Kelly of the Indiana Capital Chronicle. You can find Indiana Week in Review's podcast and episodes at wfyi.org slash iwir or on the PBS video app. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. The opinions expressed are solely those of the panelists. Indiana Week in Review is a WFYI production in association with Indiana's public broadcasting stations.